years ago i read scott peck's book the road less traveled and there were two great truths out of that that lead to emotional wholeness he says first of all we need to recognize that life is difficult and secondly that life is unfair and i've had a an occasion this weekend to experience the fact that life is unfair today my colleagues doug and jay get to go to the dallas uh, 49er game and um, i have to go to fuller i had a chance to go but i've got to go trustee at fuller and i was thinking that, that's not really too fair and then i was uh, thinking of some other excitement last night i really would have liked to have I know you're not all into fights, but I wouldn't have mind seeing the Tyson-Holyfield fight, and I would have liked to have seen Stanford beat uh, our rival, but I didn't. And then I reflected, and what has all this got to do with the sermon and us? I looked at my priorities, and I thought, how long has it been since I was that excited about coming to worship, where I would really feel cheated and life was unfair if something interrupted my ability to worship God? I covet for us as Christians that the Holy Spirit would create in us such a hunger for God and an increased love for God that we would come here with the same sense of expectation and excitement and joy that we go to a sporting event or an opening of Bloomingdale's or any of the number of things that we do that get us excited. And I can't make that happen. But I can tell you we're praying, and I hope you're praying, that what God has ignited here this fall is going to continue. So this place will be electric with the Spirit of God, not something we stir up mechanically up here, but something that God stirs in your heart so that people who walk through that door catch the contagious Spirit of Jesus Christ, which in the long run is the only thing that really matters in this world, the only thing that has eternal significance. That's what we're about. The game will be over by 5 o'clock today, and we'll probably forget it. But this worship service has implications for eternity, for you today. And in that context, let's look at another beatitude from Jesus. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, we ask that you'll do that miracle that you do for us constantly. And that is take a written word that many in our society totally discount. And through the miracle of your spirit, make it a living word to us that we call truth and let it impact our lives today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Although I, I didn't plan it this way, when we scheduled today's subject last summer, I didn't realize how appropriate would, it would be after an election to study these words of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the bridge builders. Blessed are pe those people who pull people together rather than apart. Blessed are those who calm the waters rather than stir them up. Peace is a pearl of great price that we all know is greatly needed in our times. Polarization is breaking society into opposing groups at an increasing rate, as current as the reactions to the passing of Proposition 209. Or when violence is as close as an impatient driver, where I saw somebody nearly get hit in the pedestrian zone yesterday due to an impatient driver who couldn't wait one second after the light changed. Or when lack of peace is churning our hearts right in this worship service today. We're so filled with turmoil, discontentment, stress, fear, and hatred, we can't even concentrate on God. Jesus spoke frequently of peace, saying, oh, that you knew the things that make for peace. Or peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, but not as the world gives, give I unto you. This Christmas we'll call Jesus the Prince of Peace. 
And today he calls us to be his agents of peace in our personal worlds. And that's an exciting challenge. And I want to start by letting us consider what Jesus means by peacemaker. Peace in the Bible is a beautiful word, meaning more than the absence of war. Uh, more than an absence of conflict in relationships. Biblical peace describes that incredible miracle where enemies not only stop fighting, they become brothers and sisters who love each other. Only Jesus can do that. The Bible says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. That's what Jesus does. Paul is referring in this text to that huge barrier of hatred between Jew and Gentile, paralleled today between Jew and Arab. Can you imagine a power that can make a Jew and an Arab become brothers and sisters who love each other, putting behind them the centuries of violence and hatred and murder and all the things that have clouded their history together and make them embrace as brother and sister? That's a miracle. That's what Jesus does. And an equal miracle is that God has given you and me as his followers that potential power to be peacemakers in our network of relationships in the part of the world where we'll be Monday, where he has strategically placed us. We can make a difference. It's our task to make a difference. That's what makes Christianity contagious. That's why Jesus died. We've been bombarded for weeks previous to the election with every kind of propaganda. And now peacemaking is needed to overcome the anger and even uh, suspicion all around us, even hatred in the hearts of many. I overheard a person down the day after the election at the coffee shop saying, you know, I don't believe anyone, I don't believe anything anymore. Here was a, a, a kind of disillusionment, disconnectedness that's caused by so much chaos these days as we struggle for truth. We need peacemakers. Uh, let me get more personal. How did you debrief the election last week with people in your network of relationships? Did your conversation help reconnect people? Uh, did you build bridges or did you sow suspicion and build more barriers? According to Jesus, our task as Christians is to be peacemakers. Paul writes to the Colossians, therefore, as God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. If you listen carefully, wouldn't it be an incredible world if people lived with these kinds of bonds of love and peace and understanding and forgiveness? That's what God wants to have happen. It should happen in the church, and we can be catalysts to make it happen out in the world that needs it so desperately. You see, a challenge we face as Christians, particularly in our area at this time, is that it's far easier to be peace lovers rather than peacemakers. And that's probably one of the great weaknesses of the church today. We just love peace, but we hesitate to make it. It's easier to define peace as personal prosperity and freedom from inconveniences and problems, or even in the Old Testament sense of shalom, as wholeness for me. 
But Jesus told his followers, he who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It might come as a shock, but peacemaking is the opposite of a problem-free life for a disciple. It involves walking that costly road of caring for others and dying to self that we've been talking about very consistently since September. It means forgetting our personal rights while defending the rights of our neighbor. It means going out and do in our world what Jesus would do as he ministers through us. Now, if you're still tracking with me, I, I need to say this leads us to a fact. Namely, becoming a peacemaker is not an achievable character quality. We can't do it ourselves. We can't, in our own strength, put self on the back burner without divine help. And that's why a lot of us say, oh, hum, when we hear something like this. We've heard it before, over and over again. We've tried, we failed, so we really can't get stirred up. I believe the Spirit of God is moving in us, and we can get stirred up in a way we've never done it before. I can't die to self, but with God's help, I can. So can you. And this leads us to a second question. If we seek to become peacemakers... How do we unlearn our habits of putting self first? Our text says, as God's chosen people, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Here's the clue. We become peacemakers when we recognize who we are. As a believer, you are God's child. What's, biblically, that doesn't have anything to do with biology. Even when we say Jesus is the Son of God, that doesn't mean biological offspring. It means Jesus is God, like God. When we're children of God, it means as Christians, we're growing to become exactly like Jesus. His likeness is being transplanted into us. And therefore, we're being equipped to do what he would do if he were on earth. And he is through us. This means that when we we become peacemakers when we seek the power of the Holy Spirit to clothe us with the peacemaking qualities of Jesus, his compassion, his kindness, his humility, his gentleness, his patience, his forgiveness, his love. But these qualities the Bible calls fruits of the Spirit. That implies we can't become a peacemaker through self-discipline or self-will. It's a fruit. It's a gift of faith. It's something we can pray for, we can desire, but only God can give. Yesterday, I was thinking about this one. We have this tangerine tree that I brought from Malibu with me 23 years ago, transplanted up here, and it's just, it bears its heart out. And it was literally so heavy that I had to take the fruit off or it was going to break. And I was thinking, you know, that tree didn't have to put any effort at all into bearing that fruit. Fruit was it's just its natural, that's why it was there. It was something that it does naturally without effort. And today, as I'm talking about peacemaking, I'm not up here trying to be a cheerleader. Now let's go out and make peace. You can't and I can't. If we try, we'll fail. What we can believe, though, is that God is at work. We can pray for it. We can desire it. And we're going to find, over a period of time, the fruit of the Spirit. Christ's likeness is going to so take hold of us that almost before we know it, we'll be making peace out there because that's who we are. We're, we're to clothe ourselves as children of God. Maybe that's the reason we so consistently urge you to be consistent in attending worship. Why do we come here every week? It's not a habit. Or why do we urge you to go to Bible studies and get into small groups? It's through these exposures to God's truth that the Holy Spirit has opportunity to transplant the character of Jesus into you. 
And over time, we begin then to exhibit his compassion and humility and gentleness and love in our divided, competitive, secular arenas. Why we should be on our tiptoes with excitement when we come to worship? We're not here to be bored. We're here to take that next step to get ready for eternity. In eternity, we're going to be like Jesus, and we're going to take another step even today to become more like him so we can get out and serve that world for which he died. That's why we're here. Think about it with me. Think of the rudeness and the hostility, the mistrust, the slander, and even the hatred present in many of our offices, neighborhoods, or even in our homes. Easily, then, we can begin to understand why Jesus would call us the light of the world and the salt of the earth. As Jay talked about last week, peacemakers are very contagious. We stand out. If we're there reconciling people in the midst of a society that's forgotten how to reconcile, that's divided, we're contagious. I'm yearning for that time when, because we worship here, because we're falling more in love with God, getting closer to Jesus, that we become increasingly free from the mad scramble in our society to look out for number one, a scramble that's killing us. I want the Holy Spirit to free us from the narcissistic philosophy, as long as I get mine, I don't give a rip about others. How different when we can go out and go counterculture and say, I care about you more than I care about getting mine. Paul the Apostle mandates us to be peacemakers as he writes to the churches, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And finally, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. As we pursue our contagious Christian theme this year, I pray the Holy Spirit will lead us into our marketplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our classrooms, and we will be peacemakers. And think of how Jesus will be glorified. Think if we're known, we're a Christian, and people associate a follower of Jesus with somebody who's not a troublemaker, not somebody who comes in with all these pontifical, judging, hate-filled remarks, but somebody who comes in as a peacemaker, who loves, who includes, who builds bridges. Then we'll be known as persons who are initiators of peace rather than those who cause trouble or wait for the other to initiate peace. What a reputation to cultivate. I believe that's what Jesus is calling our church to do right now. So as we close, I want to offer you some tools if this holds some interest for you about pursuing peacemaking. In Romans, Paul tells us, so then let us pursue the things which make for peace and building up of one another. Well, first, people then, this building up of one another, people never get enough encouragement. I don't think any of us here ever get enough affirmation. You just can't get enough. We're insatiable in that need. Nothing makes for peace, let me suggest, like building up another person rather than criticizing them. Letting another person know the potential we see in them rather than highlighting their failures and their weaknesses they know too well. Our staff was discussing again this week the impact of one negative comment regarding our ministry. We can hear 10,000 yays, and yet one negative comment can upset us for a whole week. Now, I know that's our problem, but I think we need to be aware when we're critical and not building up the impact that has on another person. In contrast, yesterday, I went to my mailbox right before coming into worship, and I received a card from a covenant group, never have before. 
And it was signed by everybody in the covenant group. And it simply said, Walt, we love your contagious Christian theme and we're praying for you. And I just had to say, wow, what a gift. Why don't we do more affirming of each other? Why have we bought into this deadly epidemic that I think from the media and everything else where basically every slant we hear is where there is dirt, where has somebody failed, where can we find the skeletons? And, and, and we become like that with each other, even in the church. We only see the negative and we do so little building up. And I can tell you, every one of you here today would love the gift of affirmation. And I say, if so, be a peacemaker and give it. James offers another tool when he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Peacemaking can be as simple as learning to think before we speak. I think many of us say too much. And I think many of us speak too soon. And it might be very wise to ask God for wisdom to think before we blurt out with words that are going to divide and cause irritation and hurt people. I was so impressed with Jay's story last week about the person who saw his neighbor walk after he had lost his wife, and all he did was go out and walk with him all night, and he didn't say anything, just was there. And how that person was impacted with the love of Jesus by his presence. I think this is wisdom saying, be careful what we say. Another tool for peacemaking could be a, a decision on our part to refuse to ever participate in gossip, just to break our habit of saying negative things about anyone. As I say, the, I think the search for the negative has become a social disease in our society, and I think one of the ways we can be contagious Christians and be peacemakers is to refuse to get involved in that disease. You know, it's as mundane as the other night I, I went to the Bloomingdale's um, opening with the crowds. I was milling there, kind of walking through the beautiful store, and I was kind of listening. I'm not terribly turned on by department stores, but I was listening to people's reaction. And you know, about 95% of them was, well, it isn't Macy's. Um, I don't like the layout. And it just was a long diatribe of feeling that they needed to um, say something, and most of it was negative. And I kind of joined in the parade, too, until I realized what I was doing. And I, I was thinking, it's just new. And our reaction to something new is to be negative. And I thought how that carries over into our lives, into church, into worship, into our homes. Uh, I would say that it would be so obvious if we want to be peacemakers, just to go out and be a positive, consistent voice and not join in with the choir from our society where everything has to be initially negative. Think about it. Bottom line, we're saying to become a peacemaker means we seek a new daily agenda for being peacemakers rather than troublemakers to be contagious rather than obnoxious. And let that light shine where God has planted us so that we're persons who help resolve conflicts, who heal relationships, and we begin to use every tool in God's arsenal for peacemaking. Prayer, forgiveness, faith, tact, generosity, turning the other cheek, gentleness, kindness. As you go home, I want to challenge you to develop a habit. Try at the end of a day for, let's say, a week, to ask yourself a question. On a scale of one to 10, what kind of peacemaker was I today? Did I sow discord? Did I fan the fires of misunderstanding? Did I take sides in petty conflicts? Did I participate in gossip? Was I quick to forgive? Was I slow to judge? I believe with all my heart that peacemaking can impact our homes, our neighborhoods, our secular environments, and it will impact our church.
Most of you know I'm a fanatic for maintaining unity in our church family because I take seriously these warnings from Scripture. If we bite and devour one another, we will destroy each other. Be of one mind, live in peace, and then the God of love and peace will be with you. One of the things that tells strangers as they come through our door that God is here is they see a diverse group like us living in unity. So as you go home, become a peacemaker this week. And maybe begin with the person God's laid on your heart during this sermon, the impossible one. Do what the Bible says, pursue peace. Write a letter, make a phone call, or maybe speak to someone you need to talk to right here in church. Let's become contagious Christians. I said in the middle of the sermon, we can't do this, only God can. And I thought it would be good to take a few moments to reflect on what's been said in some private prayer. Ask God to do for us what we can't do ourselves and ask God to give us his strength to make peace with that person that perhaps he's laid on our heart today. Let's go to a time of silent prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this call to become like you and to do what you would do, and that is to be a bringer of peace. In this next week, because we worship, may the worlds we represent here today be touched with new light and new salt as we go out and put ourselves on the back burner and become bridge builders and, people, and, and persons that connect other people and reconcile people. And we confess we can't do it, but we ask you to do it through us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.